Today's sermon is titled People of Action, and it's from Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. In this season of rebuilding, our anchor sermon series has been in Ezra and Nehemiah. We recently finished Ezra, paused for the last two weeks to do a very helpful teaching series on death, and today we're picking up with Nehemiah. As we do, I want to frame our mindset for this sermon by asking you, what is your vision that you're working towards right now? What is a noble, meaningful cause that you want to dedicate yourself to work towards for now? I did this exercise last year where I had to draw what I felt like God was calling me to do in this season of my life. So this is what I drew, which I can explain like this. First, we need a healthy biblical church, HMCC of Tangerang and HMCC of Jakarta, that will be making faithful, fruitful disciples who are making more disciples. And this is good for me. And this is good for everyone in my church. This is also a need because there are people in my community, my neighbors, university students at Upeha and in the surrounding areas who do not yet know Jesus Christ as their savior and king. So I want to love my neighbors well and support an ecosystem of churches and other supporting ministries where Jesus is bringing life to people who need this good news. I also want to send out and send better gospel workers to people groups who don't even have any churches among them yet. I know these are things that I can't do on my own, but that Jesus's church can do together. As we are rebuilding after a long time of being 100% online and being physically separated, we are also rebuilding as a church specifically among other things into people of action, people of action towards God's causes that will give glory and honor to his name. And this isn't coming out of nowhere. This is connected to what we've learned so far in this sermon series through Ezra and Nehemiah. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah have been traditionally taught in tandem. For centuries in Jewish traditions, they were taught together, or they were bound together on the same scrolls. The book of Ezra went through how God brought his people back to Jerusalem and how they rebuilt the temple. It was not just a physical rebuild that they went through, but under Ezra's leadership, they also experienced the spiritual revival. Now we get to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish exile who worked directly for the king of Persia, and he was appointed governor of the province of Judah and led his people into rebuilding the city walls and together with Ezra, actually, in reforming the faith and practice of the people of Israel. As we see in this book, Nehemiah was a man of prayer, a man of action, and a man, and a man who rallied his people together. The main idea of my sermon is the main idea from Nehemiah 1 and 2, what I'd like to call my one thing. Take steps of action as the Lord Jesus directs us to causes that honor his name. There are two, uh, two major parts to this passage of scripture. First, praying for God-honoring causes in Nehemiah 1. And second, seizing God-given opportunities in Nehemiah 2. There will be two action steps in each of these two parts that I want us to consider as well. So for the first main part of this scripture, let's see Nehemiah chapter 1, praying for God-honoring causes. In verses 1 through 4, here, Nehemiah received news in Susa about the condition of the Jews in Jerusalem and responded with praying and fasting. And here's the first action step that I want us to continue from this part. Keep your eyes and ears open to causes that honor the name of God. 
just to be clear, all this happened 13 years after the events of the book of Ezra. The temple had been rebuilt. The people were being rebuilt through the ministry of the word there. But for some reason, after all this time, the people of Judah had not been able to rebuild the walls of the city. Now, enter this man, Nehemiah, into the narrative. He was a Jewish man who was a high-ranking official for the king, a cupbearer, according to verse 11. One day, around November or December, this was the month of Chislev, his brother Hanani and some others came from the province of Judah. And so Nehemiah asked about the welfare of his people there and the condition of their beloved city, Jerusalem. Let's read Hananiah's answer and then Nehemiah's reaction from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is God's word. Now, what's surprising here is how Nehemiah responded so intensely and emotionally. Verse 4 says that he had to sit down because his legs got weak. He didn't just shed a tear. He wept in sorrow. He mourned for days, fasting and praying to the Lord. And all of this was because Nehemiah knew that the, that the welfare of God's people and the condition of God's city were causes that mattered a lot to God. And so it mattered to him too. I think what is so important to consider here is why Nehemiah responded this way. Many generations had passed since Jerusalem and the temple were first destroyed and the people of Judah were exiled. It was about 140 years or so ago. He was born and raised deep within the Persian Empire, and actually, Nehemiah had never seen or been to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah was part of a small Jewish community that still clung onto the law, their scriptures, and also clung onto the covenant relationship that they had with God. For Nehemiah and this community, the words of Psalm 137 were strongly impressed in their hearts. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. So Jerusalem, the city of God, and Israel, the people of God, were causes that were close to God's heart, according to the scriptures. And the fact that both the city and the people were in ruins brought shame and dishonor to the name of God. And this is why Nehemiah responded so emotionally. And this leads to our first action step again, to keep your eyes and ears open to causes that honor the name of God. And how do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes and ears close to the ground. This means knowing what's going on with the people that are important to you or supposed to be important to you, like your family, church, and neighbors. Even this simple step is really hard, and it's been even harder during this pandemic. Just think about some people in the church, people that you haven't seen or interacted with in a while. Do you know how they're doing? Do you know what they're celebrating and grieving and struggling with? And this takes us to the most crucial element of keeping our eyes and ears open to the causes that honor the name of God. To get the word of God saturated in our minds and, and how we look at the world. 
and be a part of the church community to do this together. We will talk about this more as we talk about the next action step. So in verses five through 11, Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, confessing his sins and the sins of his people and appealing to the Lord's covenant with Israel. And here's the second action step that I want us to consider from this part. Cultivate your heart with word-filled prayers, focusing on God's holiness and steadfast love. Now we get into Nehemiah's head here as he recorded what he prayed during those times. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And he said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though, you, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. This is God's word. So Nehemiah was a man who had a real dynamic relationship with God. And you can see this in how he knew the word and in how he prayed. Just look at verse 5, for example. When he addressed the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, this was directly from Deuteronomy 7 and other parts of the law. In a pagan land, he knew that Yahweh, that's the personal name of God that the Jews used, he was the one true God, great and awesome, who also made a gracious covenant with the people of Israel. In verses 8 and 9, Nehemiah prayed back the scriptures again, specifically from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, because he knew the story of Israel from the law. Israel was enslaved in Egypt, but the Lord redeemed them out of captivity from Egypt and made a covenant with them, giving them the law through Moses that would distinguish them as God's people. But throughout their history, Israel constantly disobeyed God, who is holy, and they turned their backs on God and, his, and they turned their back on, backs on his love for them. And the reason Nehemiah was shaken to the core was because his generation was squandering God's redemption yet again. Remember that God made it possible for Israel to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple 140 years earlier. So this was why Nehemiah was praying night and day and confessing the sins of his people and the sins of his own heart. He cried out to God, appealing to God's covenant and his steadfast love again. You see, I think that Nehemiah knew through God's word that one of God's causes was the honoring of his name. That God was known and worshipped as holy and righteous and perfect. And Nehemiah knew through God's word that another of God's causes was redeeming his people because he loved them with a steadfast love. This leads to our second action step, to cultivate your heart with word-filled 
prayers focused on God's holiness and steadfast love. And actually, we have to ask ourselves uh, an even more fundamental question. Why don't I have more of this kind of heart? I think a lot of us are on a similar track as Nehemiah. We've worked really hard in our lives to carve out a career and a life that is comfortable and successful, or we're at least hoping to carve out a life and a career that's comfortable and successful. And if we're honest, using the words of Augustine, the fourth century church father, we're living for the city of man and all its idols rather than the city of God and what really matters to God. But Nehemiah cared about Jerusalem because the name of God was being dishonored as it remained decimated and in ruins. And Nehemiah cared for the people of God because they were squandering the covenant and steadfast love that God offered to them. And I want to ask us, are we that serious about God's honor and God's people? Let me give you a very tangible example of this. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this is a simple enough command, isn't it? Simple to say, but it is so hard to do. There are some people in the church that are just easy for us to love, right? And there are many people in the church that are really hard to love, right? Especially these days, it's harder to really extend out to others in the church. It's easier to be critical and complain about church people. It's harder to make time to connect and build real relationships. It's easier to just get what we want out of church instead of investing into the church. But sadly, when the world sees the church, uh, it sees this, doesn't it? The world sees our lack of love for one another, fighting, gossip, backbiting, judging, not caring. And the one who gets dishonored is the Lord Jesus. And that should bother us and should lead us to confession and repentance. Thankfully, as Nehemiah knew, God's salvation for the world is a cause that God himself is fully invested in. And the fulfillment of the covenant and the story of the scriptures, uh, the, the fulfillment of the story of scriptures is Jesus Christ himself. He obeyed the law perfectly, fulfilling God's holy requirements and was the worthy sacrifice for our sins to redeem us. Look at what Romans 3, 23 through 25 says about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. In other words, God takes care of his own cause to save his people by sending his son, Jesus Christ, and he sent him to that cross to do what we could not do on our own because of our sinfulness. 
We are made right with God because Jesus was sacrificed to pay the penalty for our sins. And the more we cultivate our hearts with this word-filled with word-filled prayers focusing on God's holiness and steadfast love, the more the gospel will truly be good news to us because we will know in greater depths that Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, uh, is the Redeemer that God sent to save us. We will appreciate it and treasure him all the more. You know, when we first realize this and put our faith in Jesus, this is that conversion point in our journey with Christ. But what this chart illustrates is that as we go along in our journeys with Jesus, growing in real, authentic relationship based in his word, then we will also have a growing awareness of God's holiness and a growing awareness of our flesh and sinfulness. And therefore, the mark of a truly mature Christian is that the cross gets bigger and bigger in our lives. And this is a worthy, God-honoring cause to cultivate into our hearts. It is a lifestyle and a lifelong habit for those who have relationship with Christ. And this is so important because then we will be in the right place and posture to seize those God-given opportunities that he convicts us about. And so the first main part was praying for God-honoring causes. Now, let's look at the second part of this scripture, see Nehemiah chapter 2, seizing God-given opportunities. In verses 1 through 8 of Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah had the opportunity to ask King Artaxerxes for permission to rebuild Jerusalem, and he did it. He did it with a lot of fear and trembling. Here's the third action step that I want us to consider from this part. Be decisive when God gives you opportunities to progress towards causes that honor him. Let's continue the narrative by reading Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if my servant has found favor in your sight, then that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. This is God's word. So fast forward now, three or four months. This is the month of Nisan, which is around March or April in the Jewish calendar. Nehemiah was working at this moment, and he looked noticeably sad that day. The king noticed Nehemiah's sadness, which would have been, which could have been really big trouble. Because not only was it not professional in the king's presence, what Nehemiah had in mind to do to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem could have been regarded as an act of rebellion against Persia. And this was especially the case if you remember that in Ezra chapter 5, Artaxerxes was the one who put an end to an earlier rebuilding effort in Jerusalem. But think about this. 
Nehemiah had been fasting and praying for the sake of his people living in Judah and for the sake of the city of Jerusalem. This was eating away at his heart for months now. It was affecting him emotionally and physically. Nehemiah had been waiting and praying for an opportunity just like this. And so in verses 3 through 8, he risked it for the biscuit. It was apparent that he thought about it a lot and had somewhat of a plan whenever that door opened. Nehemiah wisely explained the situation in Jerusalem, and, and that set up the king's next question in verse 4. So what are you requesting, Nehemiah? For a brief moment, before he answered that million-dollar question, he mentioned this tidbit. So I prayed to the God of heaven. So Nehemiah's months of prayer, safe to say his lifestyle of prayer, led him to this reflex reaction of dependence and alignment with God in that moment. Nehemiah, Nehemiah finally made the bold ask in verse 5. He asked the king to send him to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And he went even further than that, specifically asking for two letters, one granting him safe passage through the Persian Empire for the, uh, uh, all the way to Jerusalem, and the other granting him the king's timber and other supplies for the rebuilding project. In the end, Nehemiah said this in verse 8. The king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He rightly gave credit to God's divine providence in opening this door. And Nehemiah was decisive when God gave him that opportunity to progress towards this cause that would honor his name. And this leads us to our third action step, to be decisive when God gives you opportunities to progress towards causes that honor him. This leads us to a, another very important and relevant question for all of us. How do we know and decide God's will in our lives? This is a question that we have all probably asked in our lives, right? Well, the insights I'm going to share uh, now are from a book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. I would recommend this book if you want to read it, uh, if you want to read a more thorough treatment of this subject. Um, the conventional approach to finding out God's will is mysterious and confusing, isn't it? We tend to obsess about the future and tend to get anxious about not knowing or not being able to control what will happen. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we kind of treat God as sneaky, like he wants to confuse us or he wants to hide his truth and his will from us. And overall, this conventional approach reveals our lack of trust in God's will of decree. That is God, that God is sovereign and therefore everything happens according to his will. Um, we lack trust and, and it reveals also our ignorance to obey God's will of desire. That is God's commands that he already gives us to obey. And so for God's will of direction, that is, how, we, how do I decide God's will for something specific in my life? The Bible, however, does provide us the way of wisdom. Look at what Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it, as for silver and search for it, 
as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So we're never told in the scriptures to ask God to reveal the future or to show us his plan for our lives. God says it here. Don't ask for that. Ask me instead for wisdom so you'll know how to live according to my book. So how do we get this wisdom to discern God's will? This passage in Proverbs mentions three ways. First, the first way to get wisdom is to store up God's commands or to search the scriptures and saturate yourself in it so that our hearts and minds are transformed to love what God loves and hate what God hates. The second way to get wisdom is to turn your ear to wisdom or to get wise counsel from others in the church community. The third way to get wisdom is to call out for insight or simply asking God to tell us what to do. We pray for illumination of the scriptures. We pray for wisdom that doesn't come naturally for us. We pray for the things that we, that we already know are God's will, like good motives, willingness to trust and obey, and for the gospel to spread. And lastly, as you prayed and studied and sought advice, finally, make a decision. As you follow the way of wisdom, you will make God-honoring decisions. Looking back at Nehemiah, this is what he did, wasn't it? He was a man of God's word and really loved what God loved and hated what God hated. And he prayed and asked for insight from God. And he probably had his brothers from the covenant community who gave him advice, whom he talked to about this matter. And when God gave him the opportunity to progress towards this cause to rebuild God's city and people, he acted decisively. What about for you? It could be a so-called big decision like changing your career path, pursuing a serious dating relationship, or relocating your family. Or it could be in a so-called small decision like bringing up that sticky issue at work or taking up the opportunity to serve in that ministry for the church or allocating time in your schedule for some personal time. To become people of action, may we, believe, may we be decisive when God gives us opportunities to progress towards causes that honor him. Amen. Now, finally, in verses 9 through 20, Nehemiah got to Jerusalem and moved carefully and deliberately, inspecting the walls of the city and then investing, inviting the people of Judah to rebuild. Here's the fourth action step that I want us to consider from this part. Invite church family members to join you in causes that honor God's name. In verses 9 and 10, Nehemiah finally arrived in the province of Judah. And he visited with the current officials who are already established there. He probably met with some resistance or resentment. And so those letters from King Artaxerxes probably came in handy at that moment. Nehemiah coming with an official royal military escort was obviously there to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Uh, then in verses 11 through 16, Nehemiah finally went to Jerusalem and stayed there for three days. He, and, and there he did something interesting. He scouted out the city walls with a small group of his own men, and it was in the secrecy of the night. And the important thing here was that he needed to see with his own eyes the current conditions of the walls and the gates in Jerusalem. 
And then what he did after that was he gathered some of the priests, nobles, officials, and others in the covenant community. And I'll just read from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been on me for good, and also for the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. This is God's word. Nehemiah gave an invitation to them. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. He stated the brutal yet obvious facts uh, about their trouble, that Jerusalem lied in ruins and its gates were burned. And really, the condition of the people of God reflected the condition of those walls, still fragmented, lacking key infrastructure, and vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. Even worse, they were uh, suffering derision, which meant that they were being mocked and shamed because of their condition. And the name of God was also being mocked and shamed. So remember, these are worthy causes, the people of God, the city of God, and ultimately, the name of God. Nehemiah took a risk here again, didn't he? The people in the province of Judah didn't know him at all. He was inviting them into a daunting endeavor. It would require all of their blood and sweat. But Nehemiah also shared how God's hand had been upon him for good. He probably retold the story of how he'd heard the report from Hanani when he was in Susa, how his heart was so burdened that he prayed and fasted for months about it how God opened the door for him to ask the king of Persia to send him to Jerusalem. And he said that this all was the hand of God. And after this, they were all convinced and replied, let us build, rise up and build. The whole covenant community was on board. And this leads us to our fourth and final action step to invite church family members to join you in causes that honor God's name. Building up the people of God involves all of us. I talk to people often about how the church has disappointed them in one way or another. And the specific situations may be complicated, but what is important is that we all need to see these failures, shortcomings, mistakes, and even sins that we, that we have in our church as something that we all care about and that we all take ownership of. How are you trying to reach out to your brother or sister? How are you making your life group and a church a stronger community? How are you taking up the burdens of your spiritual family? These are all worthy causes, the people of Christ, the church of Christ, and ultimately the name of Christ. Therefore, invite one another to join you in these God-honoring causes. Start with action steps number one through three. Keep your eyes and ears open to the specific causes. Cultivate uh, your heart by focusing on the, on the cross of Christ, Christ and be decisive when God gives you opportunities to make progress in those specific causes. Then take initiative to open up, to meet up, to pray together, and to take steps of action together with the church family. So the first main part was praying for, uh, was praying for God honoring causes. The second part was seizing God's opportunities. Now let's conclude with 
the life application. Here are the next steps we can take in light of the one thing from Nehemiah 1 and 2, to take steps of action as the Lord Jesus directs us to causes that honor his name. First, cultivate your heart by, for God-honoring causes by taking in and praying through the word, and personally and with others. Let's keep first things first. It starts in here. It starts in our hearts. We need to ask ourselves, why don't I have more of this heart? What ways are our lives filled with pursuing causes for our own name rather than for honoring the name of God? May we have real living relationships with God in Christ, confronted by his holiness and our sinfulness, but also comforted by his steadfast love as demonstrated for us on the cross. Let's not squander our lives for anything less than causes that honor God's name. Amen? May our prayers reflect constant confession and consecration to the cause of Christ. Second, exercise the way of wisdom from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, regarding a specific decision that you have to make now. Like I said, it could be for a big decision or it could be for a small decision. First, Search and saturate yourself in the scriptures to transform our hearts and minds. Second, get wise counsel from others in the church community. Third, pray and ask God for wisdom and guidance. And fourth, make a decision by faith. May the Lord Jesus rebuild us into people of action like this, a healthy church, so that he, so that he can guide us to all the other God-honoring causes in our city and in our world, like faith and work, justice and mercy and missions. Let's start here today. Let's have this vision for our church to be people of action. Let's take a few moments to collect our thoughts and pray on our own at this time before we observe the Lord's Supper today. God bless you.